Hello, and welcome to Notes from an Imaginary Place. I'm Rudy Dorneman, and this is a podcast of stories set in imaginary places. And this month's story takes you to a depot. Here we go. Depot. One. This is where goods from other continents came ashore hauled up the sloped ice docks and then sledged in through an ivory archway hung with ribbons of heavy felt to keep in some of the heat and keep out some of the endless freezing drizzle. The x-ray technician walked in through that curtain, following a line of crates. The crates were still wet. The technician was somewhat soggy himself and watched as the cloud of their breath unfolded into the air. Inside wasn't much warmer than outside, and every bit as damp. Above, acres of baggy canvas were suspended over elaborate girder work. Below, the train yard, a labyrinth of rails. The technician found their way along one of the platforms between waiting rail cars. There was a kind of dance the depot keepers did, leaping aside as the crates glided past with slick momentum then landing on the spiked toes of their boots and slip-skating after the crates to make sure they kept moving and didn't freeze to the ground, and eventually got pushed into the right rail cars. The technician dodged these crews and crates down one platform and up another before finding a sign that matched the writing on their ticket. Every track had a train coming, going, or idling. It was like wandering through some industrial orchestra in mid-performance the drumming din of freezing rain against the roof canvas, the shriek of brakes, and the thunder rumble of the engines, ground-shaking, chest-tremoring, soul-vibrating. The technician looked up at the rust-colored clouds visible through skylights of plastic sheeting sewn into the canvas. They pulled deeper into the unfamiliar weight of the coat they'd paid too much for on the ship. It wasn't so much anticipation of their new life or nostalgia for the home that they'd left behind that they were feeling, more a sort of empty-handedness, that they'd let go of their past entirely like releasing a kite string, and they hadn't grabbed a hold of anything else yet. They began to think of how they could make themselves into someone different than they'd been back home, what they could change or would simply living in such a different place change them as much as they could want? Their hometown's biggest industry was shoes, and the technician wondered if a few crates had followed them over the ocean and would join them on the train. Would a pair stitched by someone they knew wind up gracing a shop window on a street that was strange to them now, but would soon become familiar? Probably not, they thought. What occasion would anyone on this frozen continent have to wear shoes made of lace? 2. The conductors opened the doors, and a double row of passengers pushed their way up the boarding staircase. Upon reaching the doorway, the pair of passengers immediately ahead of the technician realized they were both on the wrong side and needed to switch, an operation that involved much pointing at their tickets 
and much contorting around each other's luggage before they could go up or down the train in the proper direction to find their seats. The technicians stepped up, showed their ticket, and received the conductor's immediate nod. They were on the proper side, thanks more to luck than planning, and turned right, pushing their trunk ahead of them down the aisle. They found their seat, velvet worn down to burlap, but upholstered as plump as an overstuffed pillow. The train was quiet inside, murmured conversations, muffled footfalls on the aisle carpet, a soft electric hum over the PA interrupted by an announcement in a voice that sounded like someone talking to themselves. The train yard, with its bustle, glided silently past the windows. The technician's fellow passengers settled in up and down the car, stowing luggage in any remaining cranny, dropping onto the cloud seats, and unfolding glossy paper news chronicles to resume interrupted platform reading. The train passed through a flooded forest, leafless trees out the windows on either side. Then it entered a city, the train not slowing and the buildings so close to the tracks that the technician couldn't focus quickly enough to catch any single details. They had an impression of low, square architecture and window grids that glowed against the first tints of twilight. They looked away for a moment, wishing they had their own news chronicle for distraction, then saw that the city had disappeared and they'd entered flat country with patches of snow here and there on the ground. The snow seemed to hold the sky's purple a few minutes longer than the sky itself did. 3. Both the railroads and the sea roads were busy with the goods for ice trade. When the technician had come ashore, three other ships waited in the harbor for their turn at the docks. On the sidings around the depot, locomotives had chugged continuously up and down to assemble strings of shipping cars. Inside the depot, squads of customs officials in striped coats had chased crates up and down the platforms. This was the main route for travelers as well. Some rode along on voyages from the equatorial regions to the polar continent as the technician had. Many more went in the opposite direction. Disembarking, the technician had passed a long and restless queue waiting on the other side of the gangplank. In a few weeks, those travelers would board passenger cars hitched as an afterthought to the back ends of mile-long chains of frozen freight cars. The jungles and plains of the technician's home continent would seem as strange to them as the tundra and ice fields here were to the technician. When the technician had left home, they'd ridden in a car that followed containers full of grain, fruit, books, all kinds of wooden furniture— and, of course, the finest lace shoes. Traveling these weeks, the technician felt as if they'd spread their arms as wide as they could, stretching out to measure the full span of the world, from the tropics to the Arctic, from the familiar to the completely new, from a place of low esteem to, they hoped, a place of some respect. When they reached their destination, they'd be the primary assistant technician in the radiography department of that peninsula's main hospital. A big advance over anything they could expect in the backwater hospital back home, where they'd been relegated to running the weekly focusing checks, cleaning the cameras, keeping the dark room stocked with chemicals. That hospital's x-ray department had a staff of two, 
and the technician's boss had hoarded all the interesting work for himself, all the work that got recognition. So what if the technician didn't know anyone on the polar continent, was a stranger to the peninsular culture, and only knew as much of the local language as they'd been able to learn from a couple of probably very out-of-date books in their little town's library? This place was different. It was new. It had to be better. Four. An hour later, maybe two, when it was full dark, the conductor came around with a cart. In exchange for a few of the perforated coins that the technician didn't quite know how to count yet, they received dinner in a cardboard cube. Holding its warmth in their lap, they watched their fellow passengers for cues, saw how to fold the top open to reveal the first four courses, each in its own little compartment. They had no idea in which order to eat, even though the outsides of the boxes all looked blank and identical to the technician's eyes. The passengers around them seemed to have different selections in their boxes' compartments. The technician had some kind of chewy salad, maybe seaweed, and a foamy orange soup, then a few sheets of spicy nut brittle, then a quartet of meatballs and some kind of fruit-based sauce. That was it for the top layer. They struggled with the box until the teenager in the next seat noticed their trouble and showed them the trick of folding the corners up from the bottom and helped them to open the compartment that held a napkin and fork. The technician had been making do with a spoon and a knife and thanked the teen with a word that felt as unexpected in their mouth as the food had. The lower level held another soup, this time an oily broth packed with tiny, delicate leaves that tasted like burnt toast. There was a cube of clear gelatin that held a radish carved in the shape of a toad. The next compartment held several fried bits. The technician couldn't tell if they were meat or vegetable or some combination. Whatever they were, they'd been coated in a bittersweet sauce that the technician thought was the best they'd ever tasted. They thought of trying to ask their neighbor what the dish was called, but the teenager was asleep. Outside, the larger moon rose behind a long row of unfinished apartment towers, silver-blue light coming right through the windows from one side to the other. The box's last compartment was its own puzzle, particularly since the train car had been dimmed to facilitate napping. The technician eventually worried it open without too much ripping, and found that it contained two small booklets, one with pictures, the other with words far too small to read in this light. They tucked the booklets into one of the pockets of their uncomfortable, unfashionable coat, until a time when they could better see. Under the booklets was a square of something flaky. They took a bite and recognized it at once a delicate layered pastry, just like their grandfather had taught them to bake. Same spices, same sweetness, same nuts already getting stuck in their back teeth. Out the window, the moon looked more familiar, the landscape less strange. There was time to nap before changing trains, but the technician felt as if they'd just woken up. They kept their attention on the view out the window all the way to their station stop and beyond that on the next train all the way till morning, and the destination that might or might not 
grow to be home. And that was Depot. Thanks for joining us on Notes from an Imaginary Place. Next month, I'll be back with another story set in another fantastical place, and I hope you'll tune in. Thanks. Thanks.